Peeped. What's up, my dreamers, doubters, non-believers? I am Princess Weeks. And my name is Tessa Netting. And you are listening to The Geek Podcast, your weekly energy boost of the world's fandoms and stories you love, all in an hour or less. Your money-back guaranteed. Each week, we're going to skim the surface of what's popular in geek culture and deep dive into the lore of a Netflix world bigger than our own. And tonight, we're off to Never Neverland, the world of Sandman. And I could not be more excited if I tried. And I'm trying so hard right now. And I'm so hyped. This is the biggest world of all, the ultimate world, the world of our dreams. And I can't wait for this and for our discussion. And this is just the first installment of our Sandman Deep Dive. And we're going to be continuing our conversations in a few weeks. So don't randomly start listening to another podcast if you want to know how our Sandman thoughts conclude. Also, we got to sit down with the man himself, the author of The Sandman, Neil Gaiman, like <laughs> the, the baddest, the you goat, know, the modern day Orpheus, the creator of all worlds, God himself, <laughs> just like literally a minor deity. It's so exciting. Yeah, we're going to be super chill about this and <laughs> we're not. We're freaking out. We're so excited to be talking to him and to just talk about the Sandman. <laughs> All right. What's God's Geek is just Sandman. We're all about Sandman and we don't even wanna we don't even wanna prolong the the experience, the anticipation. Let's just get right into yeah, that please. good old man sand. I don't care about anything else this week. <laughs> <laughs> After San Diego Comic Con, Tessa is tired. She just wants to focus on one thing and one thing only, Sandman. Sleeping and Sandman. <laughs> Today we talk. With the one, the only, Mr. Neil Gaiman, creator of The Sandman himself. And boy, I gotta tell you, sweetest voice in the market. Hello, Mr. Neil Gaiman. Thank you so much for joining us. It is an honor to speak to you. Your new show, The Sandman, is now streaming on Netflix, and it's finally been adapted for the screen. After all these years, I am so excited for everyone to see it. Since The Sandman is all about dreaming, I have a question. Do you remember your dreams? I, what I tend to do is remember my dreams when I wake up and go, that was such a cool dream. And I grab my phone, open Google Keep and just type and then drift off back to sleep or whatever, or, or get up and start my day. Uh, I do that mm. incredibly rarely. What I normally do is wake up, go, whoa, that was a dream. That was the kind of dream you don't forget. Whoa. And the ideas in there, they were so great. And that thing that happened, I, right. I'll never forget that. And about four minutes later, I'm cleaning my teeth and going, <laughs> I had a dream, didn't I? <laughs> Are they mainly good or bad? Like, do you have good dreams or scary nightmares? I used to have nightmares. When I was a, a little kid, I had nightmares. When I was a teenager, I had nightmares. When I was in my 20s, I had nightmares. And then something happened when I started writing Sandman. And whenever I'd have a nightmare, a really good nightmare, I would wake <laughs> up so happy and excited and I'd write it down. Like, oh, I can use that. Oh, that was so great. And that... 
And then they stopped. And, and my only theory I could come up with was that the people <laughs> whose job it was to send me nightmares were so incredibly disappointed right? by my reaction that they, they just <laughs> gave up and went home. You broke them into submission with just like, no, I'm going to flip it and make this content, <laughs> make it art. <laughs> I was so thrilled. Like, nightmares were the best. It's like, oh my gosh, yes, I'm being chased through a castle by a monster with face like spaghetti. This is so awesome. Sandman is a masterpiece. It was one of my first comics. What is your favorite part of the legacy of the Sandman story? Like, what are you most proud of what it has built as a as a legacy, as a product? What I'm what I'm most proud of is the people who come up to me who are doing great comics now. I love that. Who say, oh yeah, Sandman was the first comic I read that made me go, this is literature. Who made me go, oh, I want to do that. And the fact that I've, you know, I've spawned people who I don't know and that they read Sandman and went, oh, I didn't know you could do this. And some of them have, and they aren't all comics people. You know, Susanna Clark mm -hmm. coming up to me and saying that it was reading Sandman that made her go, I didn't know you could do this. I, I want to do this. And she became a writer. And that's where we got, uh, you know, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell from. Uh, it's... There's a wonderful feeling to that. That is wild. I can't even imagine. Um, if you were a part of The Endless, which sibling would you be closest to and why? Oh, I like that question. Somebody, somebody before this afternoon asked, you know, just which member mm -hmm. of The Endless would you be? And that was a very, that's a different question mm -hmm. because, yeah, who would I be closest to? I hope I would be closest to death because she's, mm -hmm. she's nice. She was imagined to be nice. I created her going, who do I want? I've met in literature a lot of incarnations of death. Right. They're all cold. They're implacable. Some of them are skeletal. <laughs> None of them are nice. And all I can think of is that I would like somebody there when I die Somebody to say, you know, the blue bottle contained the alcohol, the green bottle contained the prussic acid, and honestly, <laughs> you should have gone for the blue bottle. I really, I wanted somebody nice. I wanted somebody reassuring. I wanted somebody who you'd fall in love with a little bit. I, I, I was reminded of a story I heard when I was about 12 that I think may be a Kabbalah story of the angel of death. And the idea was the angel of death is so beautiful that when you see them, your eyes are, you fall in love so hard that your eyes are, your soul is pulled out of your body oh, through man. your eyes. Mm -hmm. And I just remembered that. And I thought, that's such a great, yeah. I could go with that. If you're going to give somebody a death, let me fall in love so hard that my soul wants to go off with them. That's beautiful. So that was sort of part of the inspiration for death. And that also was part of the joy and the terror of trying to cast mm. death in Sandman because you're trying to find somebody 
who can embody that, who you just would like to spend time with. And I think Kirby does an amazing job with that. She is so ethereal. And I can say personally, when I had a loss in my family, I reread The High Cost of Living as like a comfort read. And it really, like, your version of death is immensely comforting, even when you're in the pitfalls of grief. You know, it, it was really weird for me the other day at Comic-Con, because I took Kirby aside. And I said, look, we have to have a little serious conversation that's a bit more serious than, you know, showrunner to actor normally is. Because for the last 30 years, 30-something, 30 33 years, 34 years now, people have been coming up to me and saying, I just wanted to tell you, your version of death, thinking of your version of death, got me through the death of my child, got me through the death of my parent or my brother or my lover or my friend. This person who mattered to me died and I thought about your death being there for them and that yeah. helped. I said, and I've been listening to that and trying to be present for those people and saying thank you and I'm glad it helped. And you're right. going to get that now. Once they've seen you on screen in the sound of her wings mm -hmm. for the rest of your life, probably long after I'm dead, People are going to come up to you and just say, you know, this thing happened to me and this person died. And thinking of your version of death being there for them made it okay for me. And you're going to have to be there for them and say the right thing. Wow. And Kirby is really sensible mm -hmm. and she's good and she's lovely and she has broad shoulders. And I think she can carry that but it was actually something that I found myself saying that was, you know, much, much darker and bigger than you normally wind up having to talk to somebody about. Absolutely. And yet, so the point of that character. Well, to lighten things up, and also we know you need to, like, go relax because it's been a long press tour. Uh, since we are a geek podcast, other than working on Sandman and doing all this stuff, what sort of things in the geek nerd space are you excited about? Like, what makes you feel like that nerdy kid inside right now? Oh, um, definitely Wellington Paranormal makes me, sends me, just, just I just <laughs> completely flip out at Wellington Paranormal. Mm -hmm. It makes me happy, you know, and I love that it exists in the sort of the, what we do in the shadows verse. Mm. And every now and then it intersects and you go, oh, yeah, that's why he's working the blood bank or whatever. And I think part of that is because I got to spend a lot of the last few years in New Zealand. And I got to really sort of appreciate not only the paranormalness of it, and but also <laughs> the New Zealandness of it. And um, so both sides of that. So that's probably my favorite geek thing. And I, obviously I love what we do in the shadows, but Wellington Paranormal has my heart in all this <laughs> I love well. that. That's, That's so amazing. Lovely. Okay, real quick. If you happen to be attending the serial convention, what would your serial killer name be? <laughs> the failure. Possibly either that or the wuss. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> you know, the wuss. I am, yes, I had really good plans to stab him with scissors, but I just, I couldn't bag a up the blood. So, uh, no, I took him out for dinner. I waved him goodbye. I'm, I am the wuss. I am the worst serial killer. Yes, I got the booby prize for worst serial killer. Thank you, guys. Uh, that would be me. I'd be the wuss. That was perfect. And I just think, like, what performance, and I'm sure you got this a lot, but, like, what performance do you, are you the most excited about people seeing once this airs? 
Oh, that's so hard. I, I, okay, I probably, there are so many fabulous performances in there. Gwendolyn is amazing. Mm. Stephen Fry as Gilbert will break your heart and inspire you. He's so good. John Cameron Mitchell as Hal and Dolly is, is a creature of magic. Boyd Holbrook as the Corinthian. You just fall in love with him and you don't want to because he is a serial killer <laughs> and the patron saint of serial killer and he will eat your eyeballs. Yes. But, I mean, he's so lovely. And all of that, with, but with that giant list of everybody, I think for me it has to be hobgadling in the pub yes. every hundred years. And I, I just feel like Ferdy's performance, it's also kind of weird because normally what I love about Sandman is people deliver performances that weren't the ones in my head. I love what Boyd brings to the Corinthian. It wasn't the Corinthian that I imagined. It's Boyd's Corinthian now, and he's cooler and more charming and nicer and more Southern. (laughs) And all of that kind of works, for example. But for some weird reason, Ferdy's Hob is the Hob I heard in my head when I wrote that episode probably before he was born. And it was the hob that I expected. And there he is. And he's saying all of those lines in exactly the way that I always dreamed they'd be said. And it is the thing that I wanted in my heart. And I love that episode more than I can possibly say. Just watching. And all it is, is two people meeting eight times in a pub. You know, you, you wouldn't think that's really, nothing no, much really happens. the humanity. But yeah. all human life is there, and it's and it's magic. I mean, after the after the pandemic, hanging out with a friend in a pub is really the height of interaction at this point. And I think, that, I think that's so, I think that's so interesting because I think I know so many writers have a hard time letting go of the image that they have in their mind when they put it on the page. But it feels like you just have a much more organic process of just knowing that this art is now being passed on to a new medium. Like, how did you get comfortable with saying like, okay, I gave my image of this character and now I want to see how someone else reinterprets that? You know, I think for me, Sandman was a collaboration. Sandman was always a collaboration. And I look at the artists that I got to work with, Sam Keith and Mike Dringenberg, Kelly Jones, Charles Best, Colleen Doran, Jill Thompson, uh, Charles Bess, P. Craig Russell, I could yeah. keep going and keep going. Mark Hempel, all of these amazing people. Michael Zully, they were amazing. They were magic. And every one of them brought something new. And the joy for me of making comics rather than writing a novel was, it was, it was yeah. never solo. Mm-hmm. I had friends with me. And I got to respond to and react to and delight in and take joy in what they got to do. And nobody, you know, no two artists drew dream the same way. No two artists drew death the same way. And that was, that was never a bug. That was always a feature. That was the fun of what we were doing. So as far as I was concerned, when Alan Heinberg, who was himself a mad Sandman fan, when David Goya brought Alan to the table and we sat and had dinner and talked about how we would turn Sandman into television, and I loved what mm-hmm. Alan was saying. And and I was like, oh, great. This is another collaborator. This is like 
working with Sam Keith or, or Mike Dringenberg or Kelly Jones. Now I'm getting to do this with Alan Heinberg. And it's been an absolute delight. Well, we loved it. It was incredible. We watched the whole thing and we are... I was blown away. So I just have to say, like, Princess was a longtime fan of the comics. I've never read them before. So this was my first uh, my first realm. And I... I've I already bought them. I already have them. I've so it's one of those things where I just real quick for someone like me who has only watched the Netflix series but hasn't read the comics yet, like what should I expect when reading? Because it's like if we want to keep going with the story and also to see where the show may go, like what should we expect? Well, first of all, <laughs> I'm thrilled. I on the one hand, the first people that I cared about were the Sandman fans because I wanted <laughs> them to go, I'm a Sandman fan, I've been a Sandman fan for up to 30 years, and oh my gosh, this is that thing that I've hoped to see on the screen, and it really has happened, and you did it, thank you so much. So they were the primary audience for me. I thought of them kind of as yogurt starter, because I thought, well, they... If they like it, they'll go out into society and they'll be the ones standing by the water cooler saying, okay, there's a show called Sandman. I was a bit worried because it's my favorite <laughs> comic, but oh my God, this is so amazing. You have to see it. And they're the ones who will be bringing everybody to Netflix and making them watch it. But my secondary people mm -hmm. are the ones like you, the ones who yep. have no, <laughs> no idea, idea what they're going to see. They have no idea what to expect. And for whom everything is going to be a surprise and for whom everything is yes. going to be a what? They did that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I did not expect yes, that. I did not see that coming. Oh, my gosh. Entire wild. diner the scene. The diner scene was wild. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And, and you know, and, and I know that, yeah, you have the diner coming. And then once you get through the diner, we have episode six. We have the sound of her wings and we have... <laughs> Yeah. And we have hobgaddling in the pub, and that will make it all better. That will kiss you better and calm you down and give you a reassuring hug and tell you we're not actually bad people, but we are giving you bad. a big thing here. And what you have to understand is this could go mm. to dark places or it could go to light places. And this isn't like any show you've ever seen before, because every other show you've seen, if you've watched a slice of it, the next episode is going to right. be a slice of that mm. show. And with this, it can go anywhere, and it probably will, and all you know is that you are not ready. And so what I can assure you is that in the comic, when you read the comics and you read ahead, there will be stuff that you are not expecting. But I will tell you that the next big mm -hmm. storyline coming up, and obviously if people like season one, we'll get to do it for season two, is called okay. Season of Mists. And it's the one where Morpheus goes back to hell for the rematch with Lucifer. And Lucifer is waiting and things are not going to go as Morpheus planned. And that is all I will tell you about that. Ah, so hyped. Thank you so much for sitting down Thank with us so and talking to us. I know you're the busiest man alive right now, so... You're brilliant. It was so nice to talk to you. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. I love this. Well, I was going to say, Tessa, since you are the noob, ah! what was your kind of feelings about the series? I don't want to 
like overly hype this. I don't know. I just think it was one of the best things I've ever watched. <laughs> so I'm just like, ah, I don't know how to even respond to this because I was so intrigued by every single thing. Like this show has every everything that I love. Like it's all the the shit that I want to consume. It not only has this like hot guy, like dreamy hot guy that's kind of evil, kind of not, kind of like, but he's like brooding and like Edward Cullen slash Batman, like everything that I love. And then you also have, it's like, oh, then we have a hot death girl and then we have this and then we have this cool storyline and then you have just the most insane episodes where they talk about such big ideas and explore such intense like intimate themes and but then also it has a fun plot and there's like oh we have to find this stuff or oh now like I wonder what's gonna happen with this storyline and and each like volume that was put into this like was a little different too which I thought was interesting I'm glad that they all kept it into one season because they could Mm -hmm. have like dragged this out so much but because there was so much happening it never when I was watching it it never felt like it it was like dragging it really felt like I was just getting so much information and I just wanted to write everything down and but now it's like oh but there's comics so I don't have to write every single thing down exactly (laughs) but uh, I was just blown away like let's just say I I thought it was incredible I really love this show it was a very it was a treat to watch. I love that each episode was exactly the length they needed for that episode. They didn't mm. like try to make sure every episode was like an hour or 45 minutes right. or whatever. Like some episodes were shorter than others. And I would say, like, for the comic book fans, this is very, very faithful to the graphic nice. novel. The only things that are really changed besides, you know, they've added just more diversity is like there are a few things that are simplified or like slightly toned down because they make more sense in sort of like the postmodernist, you know, chaotic page, Mm -hmm. but would not feel as, I guess, lucid to use a dreaming term on like on film. So there are certain scenes that are definitely like toned down from the source material, but in terms of the story beats and what happens and the themes and the characterization is pretty solid. Do you have like an example of like what you mean by toned down? Do you mean just like the gore element of it, the intensity of like the topics that they're talking about or a little bit. So I think I think the best example I wrote it down. So we're going to skip to episode 5. This mm-hmm. is when Lupin is free. Oh my and god. He- <laughs> talk <laughs> and talk he- about another treat for me personally. I was like, are you I kidding was, me? When I saw him like look at Lupin out in these streets. I like, was- Look at Lupin with this evil ass sorcerer stone that he is dangling on a (laughs) necklace. Like, shut up. I loved it. Right. So that sequence, like when they're in the diner, like that is all accurate, but it's a lot more slow, like grinding. And then like at the end, they're all having like, they're all kind of having an orgy. Mm -hmm. They're like fighting each other. It's just a lot more chaotic and violent. Like, each panel is just, like, this explosion of, like, emotion. And also that character is, like, pretty much, like, a skeletal half-man. He kind of looks like the Grendel from, like, Beowulf rather than, Mm. like, an actual human being. So they definitely toned that down. And the other thing that is really funny is that Sandman is published under DC. So there's actually a lot of DC stuff that 
is in the original thing. So like the place that Lupin, John D is held is Arkham Asylum. Oh my gosh. And when Dream goes to figure out like who has the last of his, like who has the necklace, mm-hmm. he says that like, oh, it came into conflict with the Justice League of America. And he goes to Martian Manhunter to find out the location of the jewel oh, and I'm, obviously they didn't do all of that in, in this but it was just kind of I'm kind of glad though that would have taken me out of it a little bit to be honest I don't think a lot of people like know that. I, when I was reading it I was like oh right this is a DC property I was like Ar- I was like Arkham I was like oh right there's a lot more of that and there's just like a lot mm. of like homages to like oh yeah Batman Superman they exist in this world interesting so it definitely exists in that kind of lens and I think other than that, though, like everything is pretty consistent. Even I think one thing I felt was like a really good change is that like in the the character of Rosemary, who is Ted Lasso's therapist, <laughs> yes. she gets to live, which I loved. Oh, yeah. Because he kills her in the comic. And also one of the most heartbroken breaking passages is like when death is hanging out with Dream Oof. and she's like taking all the lives and then oh, she God. takes the baby. Like you see the mother's just falling apart emotionally and that is toned down there's a lot of nudity and like gore that is toned down in it but i think it's tastefully done still Mm. like i don't think it was like oh we're trying to water it down i think everything is very true to the text but it is understanding that this is just going to reach a much broader audience than just like the adults and like also it was he wrote it in like 1989. So just, you know, the work is going to evolve the more it gets adapted. Those two things that you mentioned were my two, like, favorite parts of the whole show. Like, the diner whole scene episode and also, like, Mm -hmm. when death was going around, like, doing that. that, Those two parts just, like, blew my mind completely. Yeah. I don't think it is you. I think it's him. You said you were going to change the world. I didn't believe you. All I did was take away the lies. You all did the rest. You did what you wanted to. I never wanted this. I liked how it felt like it was different shows in, like, one show. Like, I kind of mm-hmm. love that. Like, that's why I loved, like, Supernatural, why I loved things like Black Mirror, why I like shows that, like, go into different things and tackle different, not only realms, but different, like, time periods when he was going through, like, the difference of the years and going back to that same bar every hundred years. Like, that was— Oh, yeah, with his friend Hob. Yeah. yeah like, I love that shit. It felt like Doctor Who. It's, like, all of my favorite things. It's, like, let's put, like, a little sprinkle of everything that Tessa loves into one thing. So mm-hmm. I was just—I I can't even, like, begin to explain. Okay, let me—let's talk about the diner scene first because that was— something that I like cannot stop thinking about even now like that mm-hmm. moment when like the cook was like said that he fucked her son like my mouth just <laughs> I like was like girl and the thing about me I was like wait his ch-, but then she's like he's 21 I'm like oh, okay like I was so scared he had just everything he was a pedophile I was like what if she's like oh it's grown Oh, I was so scared. I, I was watching too much Lord of SVU. I was like, <gasps> I know my mouth was just Because that like, part is not in the, yeah, because that part is on the comic. What, oh, but to really quick, before we go more deeper, I guess I should probably break down like what the show is oh, about. Oh, yeah, we just went right into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Break it down, break it down. All right. So the Sandman is about once upon a time, Tywin Lannister decided that he wanted to try and capture death to bring back his son. And... 
in the middle of doing that, he accidentally catches a twink, a.k.a. Morpheus, a.k.a. Dream. And he ends up locking him in a circle, in a containment circle and this glass prison for over 100 years. They steal his magic sand, his pocket sand. They steal his, you know, his special locket and they steal his helm. And with that, his powers wane and it leads to people going into these long-lasting sleeps. We meet the character of Unity specifically in the comics. There are a few others that we see get affected by it. And then after a hundred years, he ends up escaping when one of the guards falls asleep by the prison and he escapes and he goes to get all of his shit. And during while he was kidnapped, his pocket sand went to Joanna Constantine, which is the gender bed version of John Constantine, played by some people's favorite companion from Doctor Who, uh, Jenna Coleman. She was amazing. She was really good. She was making that accent work for her. The helm gets taken by a demon, and then he has to go fight Brienne of Tarth, who is Lucifer in hell. Hello, Dream. Greetings to you, Lucifer Morningstar. That was pretty baller as well. Mm -hmm. And then the third item was stolen by Jolie Richardson, who I love. She's a great actress, sister of Natasha Richardson. She stole the gem, lived for a very long time. And then her son, Remus Lupin, ends up (laughs) getting the gem. So now Morpheus has to catch them all to regain his power and help the dreaming world get back to normal. And then now we can get back into the, yeah. the nuance, the, the, our favorite moments. That's like all of volume one. And then like, I think death's in volume one too, right? At the very end. Yeah. At the very end of volume one is when death is like, hey girl, why are you not, why didn't you call me? Yeah. Why didn't she let me know what was going on? And he's yeah. like, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> My sorry, bad sis. sis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't think, I didn't think, I thought you were busy. And she's like, I'm not too busy for my little brother. And I was like, same. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So that's all like the first half. And then the second half, volume two of the show is, is the whole like Rose Walker storyline, which is wild. And I, I kind of loved, I wasn't expecting that because the first that first half is so much like involved in like dream himself and like finding these things. So I thought that the second one was going to be like him just immediately rebuilding his kingdom or him immediately like something going wrong. But then for it to just like completely go to this, to this girl and her entire story and how she's like connected to everything. And then for it all to come full circle. Hell yeah. Mm -hmm. Loved that. So good. Yeah. It was really interesting because I know like when I was reading the comic, I was like, about three episodes in, and I was like, I wonder how they're going to, like, drag this out. I thought it was going to end with just the first volume. Right. But then I was like, that doesn't fit the pacing. So when we finally see, like, Lupin is defeated, it's kind of like, well, where do we go from here? Right. And like, but yet the stakes still feel very high mm-hmm. because it's like, oh, yeah, whole world's about to implode. We're about to go to a serial killer convention. Oh, my God, um, yes. A serial convention. I thought they'd be serial. Which was, I was just sitting here, you know, with me, my, my true came. I'm like, well, that's John Wayne Gacy. That's <laughs> this person. I was just out here like, man, this is disturbing. And then the Corinthian, who is very hot. Oh, and yeah. And is getting it in all over these United States. 
<laughs> just <laughs> with anyone just he can. Just slap and slap and slapping his meat around. It's uh, you know, good for him. Yeah, it's just like all of these fun moments because it's like it's it's plot driven and story driven, but yes. like all the characters f- have like feel very lived in and have like oh, these great sure. stakes. You know, like there's the the human stakes and then there's the supernatural stakes, and I think those are what makes each conflict kind of blend right into each other. Mm-hmm. And then the casting in this is insane. Like, I don't... So good. I'm trying to think. I, I don't know what they could have done better. I mean, you know better because you've read the story itself. Like, did all of these characters, like, fit in the same experience that you were, like, reading? Like, did they come to life or did they? some of them change in a way that was even better? From the ones that we saw, definitely. Like, I think that they're all, like, subtle things. Like, I love Gwendolyn Christie as Lucifer. It is technically the Lucifer that is, like, Tom Ellis from, like, the Lucifer show. Mm -hmm. But this is, like, much closer to the comic version. And, like, the hair is very accurate. I love that. I loved, you know, David Thewlis' John D. Like, John D. was definitely the most liberties I think mm. with the character like they make the Corinthian a little bit more swagger but I think with John D like they very humanized him and I think that maybe works to works for the best I would say and I and I this is nothing against Tom Sturridge because I think that he is like doing very well but I to me it's like he was both a very strong actor mm-hmm. but I kind of wanted to see like who else was in the running for that role Interesting. Well, because I feel like, and like, he just kind of looked like, he kind of, it kind of felt like so many white British male actors. You know what I mean? Like, in the sense that like, you know, his cadence and everything, I was like, there's so many people that I could just see. Like, I could have seen Benedict Cumberbatch in that role. I could have seen like a young Tom Hiddleston, but not because I think that like, because I feel like that's kind of the same level that he was on. And I guess I kind of wanted to see like who else was in the running, like what was his direction? Like, I think of like James McAvoy who did the audiobook. Oh, interesting. And like how he performed Dream was a little bit different, but it's not bad. I still like him as Dream. I still think that he's very strong and he very much carries it. Mm-hmm. I think I, or maybe I just wish he had bigger hair because his hair, because <laughs> like, because like his, Dream's hair is such a huge part of his character mm-hmm. and it looks so much like Neil Gaiman's hair. Like his hair is too, his hair was too small. I was like, I want it bigger. I wanted uh. his big, crazy boy band hair. Just something a little bit less neat. To me, like, his... First of all, Mr. Tom, your voice is very hot and distracting. <laughs> I It is very it is very nice. I loved his voice that he did for the character. It was That's why it like reminded me of Batman because he had this like specific voice that he used. Also, he reminded me of Edward Cullen because he's just standing there like watching people he sleep. Did. He, that's who he reminded <laughs> me of too. I was like he feels like he looked so much like Robert Pattinson in Twilight. I know, but that's why I loved it. I know, but I was just it was because he even had Robert Pattinson's hair, yes, and I'm just did. like, this is. I was just like, that's that's not correct. Like that was um, my only. And I think I think it's because <laughs> I think it's because uh, Dream looks otherworldly in the mm. comics, and he looks so normal in the show. Yeah, he's too hot for you. What he's he's too normy for me. I just would have <laughs> liked. I would have liked something in his design that was a little bit more supernatural. So. I want to talk about the serial killer Bruh. convention because 
Talk about a ridiculous, like, to me that, because, again, because I didn't read this, this came out of nowhere, and I was, like, beside myself, and I was like, what is this? This is so, and, like, the rules that they had, and that they, like, these kids were, I'm like, get out of here, and they, like, that one kid, freaking Jeb, 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 what is his name, Jed? Yeah, Jed was, like, running around, I'm like, bitch, get back in the room. What are you doing? There's all these serial killers around here. Like, just, it's why are you running off? Don't do that. The moment I saw, like, I knew it from the from the comic, and I was just like, lol, this is so I To me, I was living for it as a true crime nerd. I was like, yep, I know who all of you are. I, I see the illusions. But just the idea, every time, like, Stephen Fry was just walking to each room, he was just like, good heavens. Just I could, the, Brit- the Britishness on his face was just like, what the... What the blood? You know, I was, I, I deeply enjoy it. And I also <laughs> thought that it was very clever to kind of, sh- like, I love in the comic as well, like, there are all these pop culture references that are like, some of them you can't outwardly mm. say, but you're like hinting at it. And I think like, I love the idea, like, while Dream was gone, which is during the time when like serial killers really did take a things that it's like they did it like they get to like live in these fantasy worlds of their own goodness and tapping mm. into that I was like oh mm-hmm. that's so interesting and just the other day they would have a meeting and they would be like oh it's a ser- serial convention and I'm just sitting here like right and everyone's like no kids and they're just like yeah I like that's the first that's a sign to, and and their names are like all their little mm-hmm. name tags, I was like, oh, you guys are ridiculous. I can't. And my favorite part, I think, was actually, besides the all the other scenes, was definitely the Hob storyline where we see, like, Dream meeting this guy and, like, becoming friends with him over all this time. Because it was just this kind of little reminder of, like, yeah, that was oh, great. like, you have all these intimate connections. And, like, when he was like, are you saying that I'm lonely, that I need to be your friend. I was like, what a Leo. Because right now it's like you have somebody out here (laughs) trying to be on your side and you're just like, I don't need friends. And I'm like, are you sure? Because it looks like you need one right now. So I just, I felt very, uh, I was very happy when he swallowed his pride. and was like, I I know it's rude to to leave a friend waiting. I'm like, that's Right. Yeah. I do love when that happens to him. It happened to him with Lucy and it happened to him here. It's like whenever a dream is like, okay, I do need someone to love me or I do need friends or I do need help. Like I don't, I I can't do all this myself. Okay. It's like, yes, correct. Because I feel like there's a part I don't know. I guess it's bigger in some people than others, but there's definitely a part in me where I just want to like do everything myself and I like don't want anyone. I'm like, I don't need anybody else's help. But yeah. it's like, bitch, yes, you do. You do need other people's help. Like, stop it. Like, it's okay to ask for help. It's okay. I was just going to say, so final thoughts here. I just think this is one of the best shows I have ever seen. I can't wait to see more of it. I think everyone who loves supernatural fantasy type shows like Doctor Who, Stranger Things, you should watch this. Like, you're going to love this. I, I don't know who wouldn't love this if you don't love that type of stuff. So it's brilliant. Absolutely. And I would just say, like, my one more thing that I want to add before we go is that anyone who has a problem with the casting of death in this series because the actress is Black, you're dumb. And I'm not sorry to say that. Have a good day. <laughs> I mean, you're right. They are dumb. I mean, like, you're, you're wrong. Like, she's an excellent actress and 
she had entirely death energy and it was perfect casting and you're wrong. Sorry that you like racism more than good acting. Couldn't be me. Neil Gaiman is like, wow, can't believe you guys don't know that I like people of all races. Sucks to be you, I guess. Sucks to be you. Okay, y'all, you know the drill. If you like us, follow us. Get information. You can find The Geek Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, etc. And for those of you who absolutely can't get enough of us, let us know in a five-star review. We'll even read it aloud on the show and probably mispronounce some names. So what are you waiting for? Go do it now, please. Okay. So I'm actually going to read one of those reviews right now, which says, Amazing from SC Jove. And they say, I have thoroughly enjoyed this series with Tessa and Princess, and I hope their show can continue on. Me too. I really appreciate all their summaries, opinions, breakdowns, and the additional context they provide. It's been a comfort show to listen to, to the point that I've listened to some episodes more than once. And it has been helpful in processing my own opinions about the shows they discuss. Please, 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 I need Princess and Tessa to return for more geeked goodness. Thank you for that review. Thank you. Bye, Jove. You're right. I love that. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, correct. Also, anyway, the Geeks Podcast is hosted by me, Tessa Netting. And me, Princess Weeks. You can find me on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, all the internet places at Tessa Netting. And you can find me on YouTube as Princess Weeks and on Twitter at Weeks Princess. And I finally joined that TikTok that everyone's talking about. As Princess Pendulum. So have fun with that. Next week, we are opening all the doors to your hearts using our keys to unlock new worlds. Okay, we're talking about lock and key. I know that was very subtle of me how I introduced that, but it's true. Uh, yes. <laughs> Get your keyholes ready. Get your keyholes ready for lock and key, baby. A. Anyway, this is a Netflix Geek and Spoke Media production. Our executive producers are Keisha TK Dutez, Brigham Mosley, Aaliyah Tavakolian, and Keith Reynolds. Kelly Kolf is our producer. Reyes Mendoza is our associate producer. Delora Patton is our coordinating producer. Special thanks to Carson McCain. Sound design and engineering by Evan Arnett, who also composed and performed our amazing original theme. To stay updated on all things geek, to be sure to follow at Netflix Geek on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. We'll see you in your dreams. Eat.